0: go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to be in First uh, in Peter, chapter one this morning, continuing our, our study our verse-by-verse walkthrough of the book of First Peter. We're going to be in verses 3 through 12 this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you can find one under a seat near you. If you look beside you or in front of you, you'll find a copy of God's Word there. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, take that one home with you. That's our gift to you this morning. Write your name in it. Write your notes in it. Take that with you. We want to ensure that everyone has a copy of the Lord's Word in their home and in their possession. So go ahead and get that out. As you're, as you're doing that, I want to get our, our minds off the, the weekend for a second and on work. Now, I hate to, to do this to you all. I know it's Sunday. It's the weekend. You're enjoying yourselves. Hey, we're worshiping this morning, but, but we all know what happens at 11.59 tonight, right? right? The work week starts. I hate to be the downer, but the work week starts at midnight tonight. It's officially Monday. Monday is coming. And it's never late, right? And if any of you are like me, when I, when I worked in corporate America for 10 years, every Monday morning I would, I would get in the office, I would sit at the desk, and I would just wipe the sleep from my eyes, and I would go, okay, I just have to make it to Friday. Like, that's it. I have to keep my eyes on Friday. Like, that, that's the hope I have, It's Friday night when I get home and the weekend begins, I just got to hang in there, especially if you know that Monday morning, you know that it's going to be a rough work week. You're like, I got a, I got a terrible week ahead of me, I have a lot of work to do, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, whatever it is, you know it's going to be a rough week, you're just sitting there on Monday like, oh man, come on Friday. I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday and he was saying that every Monday morning his boss calls into their team, they have a team meeting every Monday morning, and every team meeting he asked him the same question every week which is what are you excited about this week and my buddy told me that as soon as it gets to him and now realize that his boss is asking this question because he expects a response of like hey this is this huge business deal we're closing for the company this week we're about to make a ton of money and I'm excited for it but every every time this question gets around to my buddy he said in the back of my mind I always just want to say I'm excited for Friday at 5 p.m. that's it that's all I'm excited for The intent of this question wasn't wasn't for that, but that's what what he's thinking in the back of his mind. He's just looking to Friday. And it's like that some weeks for us. We're sitting at work at the beginning of a tough week, and we're just like, just five more days, and I'm there. I'm at the weekend. And that hope, uh, it motivates us through a tough week. That hope of the weekend keeps us going, keeps us cheerful. It's what we have to look forward to. In a sense, the hope of the weekend... Uh, what the weekend brings—whether it's relaxation or fun or maybe productivity—it keeps us motivated to keep going through the week. Well, this morning, as we open up First Peter chapter one, we're going to see this same emphasis placed on hope. We're going to see how a hope that that Peter is going to tell us about—that's more joy than just a hope of Saturday, a relaxing Saturday. After a long work week, a hope that Peter calls a living hope. Now, remember, as we open up this series two weeks ago, uh, why the Apostle Peter is writing this letter, this letter, this, what we have titled First Peter. Um, he is writing this letter to the church followers, the Christians, in Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey, where, where Asia and Europe kind of come together who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus and for preaching the gospel. Now, that's, why, that's why Peter's writing this letter. He's writing this letter to these people who are being violently persecuted in the region of Asia Minor. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them in this time of violent persecution. And today, as we walk verse by verse and line by line through verses 3 through 12, Peter's going to show us both as Christians today and the Christians of the Asia Minor, of Asia Minor, In this initial writing, that even though as Christians we will be persecuted, we have a living hope in Jesus. Even though we we will walk through persecution as Christ followers, that the world will persecute us for our faith in Jesus, we have a living hope in Him. In fact, Peter's going to show us this morning three key foundational points of our living hope in Jesus, three characteristics of this living hope. So we're going we're gonna to dive right in. you ready, say amen. amen. Let's go. All right. The first key characteristic Peter's going to show us here in verse 3 through 5, and he's going to show us this, that our living hope is founded on our inheritance through Jesus. Let's get our eyes on the text and see Peter's point here. Verses 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this section of Peter's writing, as he opens up this text, this letter, this section is a a hymn, Right, it's a worship song, he's worshiping God here. This is what theologians call a doxology, right? The word doxa means glory. Here, Peter is glorifying the Lord for his work through Jesus. It is worship, it's praise and glory to the Lord. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter is opening up the meat of this letter to these people being persecuted for their faith by first glorifying God for the hope that he has given us In this persecution, Peter says it is according to the Lord's great mercy that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what what Peter's discussing here is the hope we have in our salvation. He says, remember persecuted Christians of Asia Minor... You were dead in your sins. Right? Before Jesus, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. But because of God's great mercy, because he sent his only son Jesus to die for your sins, you can be reborn again. If you place your faith in Jesus, the old dead you is gone. You have been born again to a new life, into a living hope. And with this new life that Jesus has given you, if you put your faith in Christ, he gives you a new life, and with this new life comes an inheritance. That's how incredibly grace-filled and merciful our Lord is, that though we are sinners, though he knew we would fall short, the Lord still sent Jesus to die for us, and not only that, granted us a part of his inheritance. The Apostle Paul, in his letter, also comments on this. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul calls those who place their faith in Jesus co-heirs with Jesus. Our hope is in our inheritance. But what's this inheritance? What are we talking about? What what comes with this inheritance? This inheritance that Peter is describing here in this letter is heaven. It's an eternity in glory. It's an eternity with Jesus. No pain, no suffering, in eternity walking with the Father, walking with His Son. Through His great mercy, God has brought us from misery and death to glory and eternal life. And that is what Peter is telling these persecuted Christians. In fact, listen to how Peter describes this inheritance. He uses a few words here to describe it. He first says that it is imperishable. It's not subject to death. It will not perish. Then he states that this inheritance is undefiled. Right? It's perfect, without blemish, without sin. He says it's unfading. It won't rot or decay. It will never fade away. He tells us that it's reserved for us in heaven and that both the inheritance and those receiving the inheritance are guarded through faith for salvation, eternal glory that will come in the end. And we have to remember as we think about the fact that, we, that Peter's telling us that we will inherit eternal glory with Jesus in heaven, you got to think about who he's talking to. All right, we're going to keep going back to that. Who's the original audience of this letter? Right, who it is Peter is actually writing to. to? He's writing to these Jewish Christians in Asia Minor, and these Jewish Christians who grew up in a Jewish culture, their entire existence relies on their inheritance, right? Both worldly and spiritually, these Jewish Christians only had what was handed down to them through their ancestors, right? This word inheritance literally means passed down wealth. And everything in their Jewish lineage all came from inheritance, right? The fact that they are a chosen nation from God came through their inheritance from Abraham, and all of that, even their worldly possessions, maybe they got land from their parents or a herd of cattle or goats or sheep or money. But more importantly, again, the spiritual blessings they received, as we read through the Old Testament, came through their inheritance. To the Jews, the only hope they have is that they inherited a promise the Lord gave to Abraham. Way back in the first book of the Bible, the first book in Genesis. Uh, We'll have it on the screen here. We're going to read through here this inheritance that we're talking about, Genesis 26, 3 through 5. God tells Isaac, Abraham's son, just what this inheritance is. God says this to Isaac. He says, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I will give you an inheritance of the land, and the blessings of the world, and they'll be passed down through all of your offspring. All of your descendants will inherit this blessing. So, the point of this is the people that Peter is addressing have a deep understanding of inheritance. But what he is reminding of them now is the new covenant that Jesus has made with them, right? The new promise that by grace and mercy of the Lord, we can have a heavenly inheritance. Through Jesus. And it's unlike any other inheritance. As Peter talks about it, it's, it's not like any other worldly inheritance, like a, a house or money or livestock. Right? This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I mean, think about all the earthly inheritance we can think of. Think about any inheritance we can get from our parents or our grandparents or our great-grandparents. Are any of them imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? If we inherit a house, that house can burn down, right? A, a tornado can come and, and take it out. A flood can wash it away. It can be destroyed, right? It's not unperishable. It's not unfading. We can inherit a, a classic car, Camaro, a Mustang, but that, that car's going to rust. Eventually, that car will go away. We can inherit money, like financially, You could have inherited $40 million in stocks in September of 1929. But in October of 1929, the entire stock market crashed and everyone lost millions of dollars in stocks. It does not matter what you inherit from the world. Everything from this world rots and dies. But Peter tells us not the inheritance you receive when you put your faith in Jesus. The inheritance that Jesus promises us will not fade, it will not rot, it will not die. And Peter's telling us this morning that this is where our hope should lie, in our inheritance. In times of persecution, our hope must be in the fact that we have an inheritance through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the source of our inheritance. We need to apply this to our lives today. We need to ingrain this text on our heart this morning the truth that we as followers of Jesus have an everlasting glory-filled inheritance in heaven because of Jesus. And that is where we put our hope. And as we do that, as our, even in persecution, in moments where our hope is aligned to that, it should affect the attitude we have in these times of persecution. And that's what Peter's going to show us next, how we should take the next step as we're being persecuted for our faith, where we should go next. What should our attitude be as we approach persecution? we're going to see next in the text is this, that our living hope is not only founded on our inheritance, but also founded in the joy it brings in Jesus. Read with me in verses 6 through 9. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, All right, the, when we place our faith in God and his word, this truth of a promised inheritance, it should move us to joy, even in persecution. Right, even though we're being persecuted in the world, this inheritance should, should seat joy in our heart. It should move us to celebrate. I mean, what he's describing here is a deep-rooted joy. Not, not surface-level joy. Not, I'm having a good day joy. Joy. Or, you know, it's been a good month joy or a good year joy. Things are good in life. The weather's nice. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a deep-rooted, intense, expressive joy that lives in our heart every day. It's ingrained. It's attached. It's in us. This joy that we have through our inheritance in Jesus. Even if you're being persecuted by your faith, this joy must remain in your heart this joy of the inheritance. And that's not always easy, right? To keep your, your, your heart joyful during persecution, especially in persecution. And that's who, that's who Peter's talking to, people who are being brutally persecuted. And he tells us in verse six, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When we spoke a few weeks ago about the original audience Peter's writing to, we found that, again, he's writing to Christians in Asia Minor who were being ruthlessly persecuted by Rome. Rome has control of this entire region, and they are ruthlessly persecuting Christians. In fact, the Roman emperor Nero had brought back all the Christians. The, the, The emperor before Nero was an emperor named Claudius, and he kicked out all the Jews. And then he dies, and Nero, the new emperor, takes control, and he brings back, he says, come back, Jews. And these Jews that are coming back are Jewish Christians. And he brings them back into Rome just so he can persecute them. He gets them close so that he can kill them off. The Roman emperor Nero was having faithful followers of Christ fed to lions in public. He was lighting them on fire, and one historian stated that he would use them as human torches in his gardens. We know that Peter himself, just three years after he wrote this letter, was killed in Rome. He was hung upside down on a cross. These people are being brutally persecuted. And Peter knew that and was writing this letter to them. In these times, he was telling them in these times, don't let these persecutors steal the joy you have in your eternal salvation with Jesus and through Jesus. He knew it was going to happen. Peter himself has been persecuted. Peter walked in these Christ followers' shoes. He knew it was coming. He's writing to them. He's saying, do not let persecution steal your joy of salvation. I mean, Jesus himself had told Peter this exact same things before he bore his sins on the cross. Look with me in John 16, verse 20 through 22. We'll have it on the screen here. Look what Jesus tells his disciples before he goes to Calvary. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into this world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is telling his disciples before he he goes to the cross, knowing that he would soon be hung on the cross and killed, he's saying, you're going to mourn soon. And while you're mourning, the world will rejoice in your mourning. The world has come up against me and it will rejoice for my death. And us as Christ's followers... We're going to mourn, right? We're going to feel pain. We're going to feel persecution. And while we do that, the Lord will rejoice in our persecution. We can see this all over the world today. We're going to mourn. But then Jesus says to his disciples, when I raise in three days, you will see me again. And when you do, you will know that eternal life is what I have bought you. You will know that I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You will know that you belong to me and you will rejoice and no one will ever be able to take that joy from you. His last line in that text, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. Peter says that no matter what persecution we as Christians are experiencing, we are to rejoice We are to have a joy in our salvation. In in verse 7, he says this. He says, We will rejoice so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I was studying this this week, Pastor John MacArthur did a a great job of breaking down this gold analogy that Peter uses in the text this morning. John MacArthur says this, just as fire separates gold from useless dross, so God uses suffering and trials to separate true faith from superficial profession. Even though gold can be purified when tested by fire, it is perishable. However, Proven faith is eternal, making it more precious than gold. So what he's saying here is that though gold, like gold, we are put into the fire of persecution, and and when you put gold in fire and you temper it, the dross, the unwanted material, it floats to the top and it's scraped off, and what's left is pure gold. And church, when you come out of a season of persecution, a season of genuineness, your Faith is being tested. The genuineness of your faith is being tested. When you come out of that rejoicing in the hope you have in Jesus, there should be no doubt in your mind that you are being matured and sanctified in the Lord. Right, that through these trials, God is stripping away the, the dross, the self-dependency, the, the people-pleasing, the worldliness, the flesh. He's he's put you in the fire of persecution and he's stripping away all of that. And when you come out, what comes out of that is genuine gospel-rooted faith in Jesus. Genuine hope in Christ. Peter says in in verse 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The the faith you have in Jesus, though it has been tested in the fire, though it has been tested in persecution, is more precious than gold when it comes out. And We need to, to view and react to the persecution that we feel today in this exact same way. In times of persecution for our faith, in times where our faith is being tested in the fire, as Peter talks about here, and this is happening all over the world, right? Christians are being persecuted all over the world today. This isn't something that's just dedicated to this time, whether it's here in America or overseas or in the Holy Land or in the Middle East, wherever it's at, Christians are being persecuted day in and day out violently. We must come out of it with a stronger love and trust for Jesus. Even though we haven't seen him, right? Peter says, I walked with him. You haven't seen him, church in Asia Minor. Christians in Asia Minor, you haven't seen him. But yet, because your genuineness of faith has been tested through persecution, your faith is like gold. And that's how we have to be, church. That's how we have to react to this text this morning. This is the, the final point. And Peter's building to this final point he's going to give us here in verses 10 through 12. As he rounds out this part of the letter uh, to the persecuted people of Asia Minor, showing them and us today, he's going to tell us our living hope is finally founded in one truth. And it's this, our living hope is founded on our salvation because of Jesus. All, right, all of this boils down to one major point. That's our salvation in Jesus. This is the the culmination of living hope for the church. Read with me in verses 10 through 12. Peter says this, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter says that here in this text that for thousands of years, Prophets of God, filled with his spirit, had been prophesying about salvation through Jesus. Right, there are many Old Testament prophets we can read about. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel, so on, so on. We have minor prophets, we have major prophets. The point is here that for thousands of years, these men were given visions and signs and prophesied to the people of Israel who would be the Messiah, right, the Savior of the world, and when he would come. When we read the Bible, we find over 300 prophecies of Messiah spanning over 2,000 years. 300 prophecies span over 2,000 years. And if you don't trust the validity of the Bible, listen to this. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. The probability of that happening, the probability of that happening is 0.98. But before that, One hundred and fifty seven zeros. The probability of Jesus proving all those prophecies correct, fulfilling every single messianic prophecy, is so unbelievably doubtful. And yet he did every single one of them. The prophecies about where he would be born, the prophecies about when he would come, where he would come from, all of these fulfilled through Christ. Christ. And Peter is saying here that the salvation the people of God have been waiting for for 2,000 years, it has come through Jesus. And men like Peter, apostles of Jesus, have been preaching the good news that there is eternal life in Jesus, that the people of the world are dead in their sin, that they are unrighteous, and without a rescuer, they will be eternally dead. And he's been spreading this gospel that Jesus is that rescuer. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is King. And anyone can be rescued from this death that they deserve. Not just the Jews who were promised an inheritance through, through Abraham, inheritance of land or blessings, but all who place their faith and their eternal life in death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All of them can be saved and rescued by Christ. Not only that, look what Peter says at the end of verse 12. Look what he says about salvation. He says, salvation through Jesus by the grace of God, is so incredible, it's so praiseworthy, that Peter says, even the angels in heaven long to investigate it. These angels are no strangers to God's plan, to his power, to his might, but grace by faith, salvation through Jesus, the angels long to look deeper into the incredible work of the Lord. Like they long to look at salvation. Church, it is in this same salvation and only through this salvation, through Jesus, that we have hope today. No matter what persecution we're going through, the Apostle Peter is telling us our living hope is in the spilling of the blood of Jesus, in his resurrection to defeat death so that we could have eternal life through him and in him alone. As we discussed just two Sundays ago, we know we'll be persecuted. Jesus himself told us, told the church, you will be persecuted. Just like I was persecuted. And we know that when we stand against the lies of the world, when we stand on the truth of God's word, the world will hate us for it. When we stand on what is true and righteous from God, it will bring hate from the wickedness of the world. We know that. The Lord never hides that from us. When the persecution from the world and the attacks from Satan come our way, we must be unshakable and firm in the truth that no matter what happens, we serve a living, resurrected God. He is a living, breathing God who has given us imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, living hope. Through His blood that was shed on the cross, we got this hope that gave us eternal life that we did not deserve, and because of that, no matter what persecution is thrown at us, we will stand firm. We will stand firm on his word, on the word of God, and on our faith in him who granted us this eternal life, who gave us this eternal promise. In the midst of all the persecution that's being thrown at us, we will rejoice. The truth in his word, the truth of our salvation and our internal inheritance and glory with him in that we will rejoice even if we're being persecuted. The Bible says there is no amount of persecution that can steal away this joy from us. Peter's message to the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor is the same message that the Lord wants us to hear from his word today. No matter what persecution comes our way, we can rejoice in the living hope that we have in Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Every hope we have, no matter what kind of persecution we're going through, no matter how much hate we're getting at work for our faith or in our families maybe, or from our friends, when we've chosen to turn around and walk away from an old dead life into a new life full of glory of the Lord, and we're hated for it, when we're accused of of being Bible thumpers and bigots, we stand on the faith in the Lord. We stand on His word. Without that, we're nothing. But we have that. We are joyful in that. So church, that's what I want to pray for right now. That we would be a church that has an ingrained joy in Jesus, no matter what's happening because of what he did for us on the cross. So let's pray for that now. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your message today. We thank you for your Apostle Peter. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit as it led him to, to write these words, God. From this, we just praise, praise you, Lord. And we pray to you, Father, that you would lead us as, as your followers, Lord that no matter what's happening, no matter what persecution comes our way, as we, as we planted this church here in Greensburg, Indiana, and as we go out and begin to disciple and to walk with you and to worship you publicly and then to, to work for you and to witness for you, to go out and tell this community who you are and that you've saved us through your blood. Father, we know that we will receive persecution from the world. And so, Lord, we ask strengthen these people, God. Strengthen them in your word this morning as they hear in 1 Peter chapter 1 that they have a deeper joy in their heart because of what you did for them on the cross. No matter what persecution is happening, the day on Calvary's hill, you gave us hope. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for that hope. We ask that you ingrain that in our hearts this week. No matter what's happening in our lives, we look to that as hope. No matter how bad it seems, that is our hope. It lies solely in you and what you did for us on the cross. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the ability to worship you and to be in your word this morning. We praise you, and above all things, we glorify you in this city, in this town, in this state, in this country, and in this world. We love you. It's in your name we pray.